I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Welcome back. I hope y'all are having another phenomenal week. Today, our focus is everything mental health. To expand my understanding, I spoke with Dr. Jyoti Mishra, the founder of the Neural Engineering and Translation Labs at the University of California, San Diego, where she works on developing digital technologies for scalable brain health mapping, monitoring, and precision therapeutics. She recently released a book called A Little Brain, which is about mental well-being written for children. You can find more information about the book in the show notes. In this conversation, we explore the ways in which schools can help their students regulate their mental well-being. Before moving on to our educational topics, I wanted to first understand what drove Dr. Mishra towards her interest in neuroscience. Sure, you know, from um, a very early age, I've been, um, you know, been a very introspective person and I've uh, thought about where our thoughts come from and mm. how do our various behaviors, what, you know, really codes our behaviors and how do, uh, how do all these, um, you know, different emotions and actions stem from, uh, from our brains and, um, you know, just from that sort of, a, you know, enigma about the brain, we never really got to study it in, so well in, uh, in school. But, um, you know, as I did my undergraduate and, and related ed- education, I did all of that in India. And uh, we didn't at that point either have much access to deep neuroscientific information. But I love reading papers in the field, seminal papers from, you know, really great neuroscientists. And, and I really uh, fell in love with cognitive neuroscience and mm. um, that's what I wanted to study um, when I came to grad school over here. Mm. So for someone who's not necess- not in the scientific space of, of mental health, um, what is mental health? What is that? What does that word actually mean? Yes, you know, this uh, for the common uh, knowledge, we understand mental health every day as the state of well-being that we're in. And um, in my work, I really look at it as a continuum in that, you know, in any given day uh, and in any, any given moment within a day, you might be feeling fully optimal and productive and efficient and also in tune with your emotions. Um, and these are all different dimensions and that one may be feeling you know, laser focused at work, but may not be in tune with one's emotions. And on the other side, there's um, ill being where we think about, you know, being in um, a state of mental disorders and mental illness. But this is really, you know, despite doctors thinking about specific thresholds of um, you know, illness being around, that there is a specific threshold above which somebody should have access to a therapist or other care. It's really, for every person, it's a continuum how well we feel on a daily basis. Mm. And 
um, and it's so important to study because um, mental health is so connected to body health and, and how we mm-hmm. feel up here in the mind is um, very much uh very much dictates the kinds of actions we take on a daily basis and um, the um, empowered individuals that we are every day. So making sure that, um, you know, we're, we're feeling um, well over a sustained time period is really something that I care about. Mm. And so, you know, my angle at this is looking at it through education. And I feel like equipping tools, uh, equipping children with the tools to actually be able to self-diagnose, you know, what, where they're at, how they're kind of feeling on a certain bit. So when it comes to like physical ailments, I think it's a little simpler to, to be able to like be like, oh, okay, well, I have a scar here. I have a, you know, something here. As a child, what are, and even as an adult, what are some things that we can kind of ask ourselves to diagnose where our mental health is at? Right. So it's really thinking about um, a mental check-in on a daily basis where we, uh, you know, take the time that is away from the the world, the external world that's around us, that's constantly driving us to, you know, pay attention to certain games or certain texting tools or smartphones and like so that's all you know our external world that's always there to capture our attention Mm -hmm. and um on the other side is our internal world um that is very much about how do i feel about engaging with something like this or um and again i'm not talking just about technology it might be with people it might be with the kinds of connections that we make with others or peers or mentors or uh or even just being in our own quiet space where are we right now what is um you know our our check-in um for the day and it's and i think it's it's hard even for adults it's hard for children it's even harder um but mental health is an ongoing conversation for everyone and um and one shouldn't feel um inhibited from reaching out to others in terms of a, a conversation um, about mental health, um, it reminds me, you know, in education, uh, in uh, when we when we talk about reinforced learning, um, we actually applaud children when they make mistakes. In that, you know, if you give them a test and they make mistakes, it's a, a good teacher will say, "Well, that's great. Now I know exactly the things you don't understand, and mm. so I can work with you on these things." And it's good to make mistakes and so from the same perspective you know the the mind is constantly evolving in terms of our needs and our challenges and um it's uh, you know it's good to have new goals in in life because that's where we're moving towards a a new uh, perspective that we want to get at and you know learn new things and but there are challenges on the way and that gives rise to some amount of discontent or dissatisfaction Mm. and um you know what we should realize is that it's this journey is not alone it's with others our mental health Mm. journey is is with others and having a positive conversation about mental health with um peers with uh, 
uh, educators, with mentors. Um, it's it's really a part of our journey and our mental health check-in on a day-to-day basis should come with these conversations with others mm. and sort of also keeping um, in mind, you know, a pulse on the things that we like to do and that make us flourish, that make mm. us feel challenged and educated and and um, you know happy and flourishing and and making sure that we we have access to those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, for everyone. It's a uh, it's an introspective uh, journey to figure out what mental health mm. is for them. Yeah. Okay. And so. Some phenomena I've seen. So I teach a lot of young students, and and something of this verbiage I've been hearing a lot of is like, for some reason I feel like every young person I interact with now either tells me they have social anxiety, they have some anxiety, or they're depressed. Or I've heard that terminology actually be used quite often. And so, first I want to ask you, how can we differentiate? So, for example, yesterday I was talking to a friend. I had a really off day yesterday and and how do we differentiate sadness from depression how do we kind of you know what is it what are the what are the differences between those two yeah so it's um if i take a clinical perspective on it then if we go to the doctor um your primary care usually you know will they ask you about your symptoms of feeling low or feeling sad or other related symptoms that might be somatic as well in terms of um having um you know less sleep or less appetite or or, or you know or even physical symptoms like crying or other things but these have to be you know for it to be diagnosed as depression we usually ask about how much has it gone on over an extended period of time mm-hmm. um which is could which uh clinically it's taken even two weeks is an extended period of time and so if one has um you know been through a low period for for at least two weeks um, and it's been unresolved, then one can consider, um, uh, you know, being in a depressed state for, you know, it could be mild or moderate or, or, or you know, in certain cases when it's gone on for a longer periods of time, it's, it's diagnosed as more severe. But um, it's really, it's not our day-to-day sadness, happiness fluctuations, mm. but being in that in that low state for a period of time okay because i think you know this this some of the terminology you're even using now i'm really curious to ask you about this i think it's important at least in terms of education to especially for people who are working in administration things to get them up to date with some of the latest like research and understanding of what mental health is so that they can implement certain structures into the school so you said something about a depressed state so that's different than what I typically hear as someone just saying they are depressed as if it's like a a state of being like as if it's just like an element of their being as opposed to a state that they're just in for a little bit. So when you say a depressed state, does that mean someone who has depression is just in that state for a, 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 a period of time or is that just quote unquote who they are? Uh, we never characterize as, as people as this is they are you know they are depressed for forever or that's Mm. their trait it's never a trait it's usually is 
a state that's ongoing in that it could be an episode which we think about as you know it could be three months long it could be a year-long episode it could be long long periods of time and the longer it is it's harder to treat um, but at the same time we think about it as you know that's not really how the human mind and body like to be so it's it's not the um, state of you know well-being that we all want to be in 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 some ways and mm. so we don't characterize it as like you know this person is depressed we characterize it as one person is going through a depressive episode there are things that we can do in our environment to um, not make it the most overwhelming feeling on a in a day-to-day -day basis so there's mm. um you know there one would say that there are levels of dissatisfaction that one might go through because of one's job or where one's at in in life or like when especially now in the age that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others on social media like they, that person's um the same age as me or has the same education but they're so accomplished or they have so many followers and like especially when you're an adolescent the, this is very peer-based impressionism is very strong so um in at that time a you know being influenced by what others are doing can have these consequences of making us feel um you know overwhelmed by that we haven't achieved that state and so there's a level of dissatisfaction that one can always have that makes us actually positively drives us towards change in our lives and and changing things even in our communities and to be positive change makers or it may dull us down and make us feel like I don't want to get out of the house I want to be <clears throat> in my room and I want to cry or um, or I'm just always angry or irritated with other people and and so we don't want to push that feeling towards this negative state and mm. and and when one is getting to that there is help out there and um, one should seek out that help I think you that's a very interesting point so I have heard this as well with um, this certain sentiment of oh, okay, well, there's no meaning, there's no meaning in anything, and and so therefore we can do anything. And and I've seen people kind of take that that thought into two different ways: either nothing matters, therefore let me do anything, or nothing matters, why should I do anything? And so, in, same as what you just said, what do you think it is? What what is the differentiator between the people who end up? you know, taking that as a positive as a motivator to do something versus people who are just like, I want to stay in my room. What differentiates those groups? I think, um, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a bunch of personality research in that area as well, because we're, um, you know, we're, we're talking about that sort of mindset and positive, um, uh, optimistic point of view versus a more negative point of view and and so so there might be certain predisposed traits that one has and those can be driven by a lot of again our early childhood experiences can also drive those traits and mm. it's a very well-known uh, type of literature is to like, you know how much um, loving care and affection and even basic needs of shelter and nutrition have been met in childhood um, that really disposes what kind of um, you know moods that we can have as we as we are growing up 
uh, at the, our, our genes also predispose us to certain uh, levels of action. Uh, at the same time, you know, we are a product of both gene and environment. And yeah. one of the things that I like to study is um, the plasticity of the brain, which is that the brain changes with experience. So when you start learning a new skill set, um, you take on a new kind of experience, you travel, the brain is constantly changing, taking those experiences within and uh, the brain networks are changing. And, and as the structures and the function of the brain that's assimilating these experiences is changing, the, you know, the, the, the thoughts that emerge from it are also changing. So what that means is that in general, you know, we're not, we're not done growing when we're just children, you know, we reach mm. 18 and we're done growing. Our brains are actually changing throughout life and, and the kinds of experiences that we give them um, are important. So the idea of mm, say, it's kind of like food. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So when we think about food, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to be conscious about the kind of nutrition you give your body, um, it's the same way with the brain. The nutrition, actually even solid food, the kind of nutrition you give the solid food to your brain, uh, is important as much as, um, you know, you're, you're making sure that you're getting, you know, omega-3s and nuts and fish and, and that's good for the body. It's good for the brain. It's actually very good for mood. One of the things that um, we think about as a diet intervention when people are feeling depressed and that they're sensitive to, um, you know, dietary factors is moving in, uh, towards a more Mediterranean style diet mm. that has olive oils and nuts and fish and and so on and cuts out on the processed fats and so on but that's that's like actual food but food for the brain is is the experiences that we have and um you know the ex in terms of uh experiences when we think about um it's not just you know going to a happy place or a let's go party tonight kind of experience it's more um the brain develops and the body and the and the mind develops a sense of a resilient attitude when over time the kinds of experiences we have have some level of challenge sprinkled within mm. it and it's not challenge at the level of um, I won't overcome this at all. You're not like, you know, just like a regular person thrown into a marine environment. It's not that. It's more you know, how about let, let me take this little thing on. And if, you know, the finding that internal reward of, um, hey, I could do this, you know, yesterday I couldn't yes. um, go through this, you know, make, you know, take, you know, my, my son is teaching me how to, how to surf right now so he's oh nice nice that's a perfect thing to do in san diego nice yeah he's 10 but he's he's oh. how to do it because he's he's learned it over the summers really well and um he's really good at it but um you know so this is like i'm not gonna how's it going it. Oh, we're making our way through <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um but you know just being out there and being open to the idea that at any age you can still learn a new skill mm. that's that's important and um 
you know, that, that sprinkling of challenge that's there helps you feel later on that, hey, I could do this. And that helps mm-hmm. you build on to um, bigger things as well. And um, what I'd add to that is that uh, there are networks in our brain that really support um, moment-to-moment action. So when we think about, you know, large goals, um, there are there are brain networks that help us do things in a sustained way. It's like I'm on this, I'm on this journey, and I'm I'm doing this task in a sustained way for a period of time. Like say you're driving somewhere, or so on. Um, and then there are brain networks that are really important for for moment to moment attention and control. What that means is that you know depending on what's Um, coming at you at any given moment, you're able to direct yourself to change direction. So there's, you know, thinking about the analogy of driving a car, you're driving a car on a highway, you're kind of going cruise control. But if there is a traffic jam or an accident, you know how to divert your path and you know how to do things differently. So similarly, I think about that analogy as how do we think about things that are you know, it could be really monumental and like, okay, well, there's nothing that can be done in society about certain things. But then if, if it, if it, if I really care about it, what can I do in my immediate environment about it? So mm. how do we, you know, distill it down to a small goal that mm. I can accomplish tomorrow? And that will help me. And tomorrow doesn't have to be literally tomorrow, but it, that will help me feel that internal reward of mm. um, going after something, something that's yeah. challenging and that I can accomplish and then you move on to the next thing and so on. So I think um, part of it is um, opinion, but part of it is also, you know, of course, from brain biology, we understand that you, you, you use it or lose it, which is we think about that for the body mm. as well. And so that's that sense of engagement, you know, in that um, the the brain is sharp and active and engaged and um, in a pursuit that might be, you know, may not mean anything to the person that's right next to you, but to you, mm-hmm. this is what you're doing and you're engaged and 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 you are choosing to be in that engaged mode for that period of time. And, um, and usually that setup helps to build that positive um, uh, attitude and positive uh, action that, that, we, that, we, that is good for us, actually, as opposed to um, being in a negative state of being. Mm. You know, I, I think that the interesting part for me is that a lot of times when we think about what it means to like have led a great day we, we can uh, sometimes be like oh well, it's where well, i just feel happy all the time and and this like disney-esque state of just forever happiness and and i think you know reverting to this idea that even these negative feelings can be an amazing place for us to learn and challenge ourselves and feel the entire depth of what it means to be a human i, I think is is kind of what makes it human and so one thing i wanted to ask about for education is when we think about this type of conflict where you feel like you can overcome it with enough time and diligence and practice as opposed to 
difficulties where you're like, there's no way I can do that. And, and then it kind of leads you to build this resentment towards a certain subject or a certain interaction. Or How do we measure at what level we cross over from that's a challenge this person can handle or a student can handle versus that's a challenge that's just too far. And and because theoretically, that's what you want to uh, personalize for each student, right? Yeah, I think that's, you know, where our gift as teachers comes in. And, and, and by gift, I don't mean something that's, you know, only given and some teachers in some ways, some teachers are very talented at it, but other teachers have to hone it over time. Actually, all of us as educators need to hone it over time is to really think about every student as their own entity and and with their own personal experiences and backgrounds and what exactly is the level of challenge that works for that child and that a student as such and it's um it's really in that one-on-one mentor uh training interaction that one can really figure out um where this individual is thriving and um you know i have students that thrive on um you know giving them the exact task that needs to be done to the you know the very last detail and when they're able to accomplish that they they feel great about um you know what they've done with certain projects and so on and and there are others who need um actually just a general sense of uh, philosophical direction and conceptual direction, but um, they want to be free in their own inquiry, and and that's what makes them happier. And sometimes that challenge is, uh, you know, harder in that there's no prior scope to look at, like how am I supposed mm. to do this? But um, they like that sense of inquiry and everybody's different there are all sorts of you know people on the spectrum in between from being spoon-fed to being you know completely like go on your own journey i'm just here on the side whenever you need me um and and that's really the job of a good educator to figure out where each student likes to be at and um Mm. try to find that optimal for for each student and and it's um it's lucky when we find such teachers but these are the teachers who leave the most indelible mark on us because they figure out that personal uh place where we really thrive yeah yeah and and so, you know, connecting back to education, I, I guess a question that I have for you is, is in my head, when I think a lot about, I work as a data scientist, so a lot of my questions are, how do we measure a successful education? What does that look like? And so I think typically right now, it's like, are kids graduating? Are they going to college? Are they having high salaries? But there's not many questions of like, do kids actually enjoy going to school? I've seen countless videos where their parents are like, it's a snow day, you don't have to go to school today. And everyone is so happy, right? And so it's like, what are we really doing if if kids feel forced to go into this entity, entity and then they're like, so happy when they're not actually asked to go? And what does that say about school? And so what are some, you know, you, we talked a little bit about um, how challenge can be helpful for a healthy mind. What are some other elements of things that are needed to, to you know, to function in a healthy way mentally? 
Yeah, it's a large question. <laughs> uh, we've touched upon that in our previous questions a little bit. In that, um, you know, we just in the very previous one we talked about that uh, mentor mentee interaction. Yeah, that's a good um, one. How checked in the the teacher is, and yeah. w- w- and that also depends on you know, the education system providing the right resources to the teachers themselves so that they're not struggling in their in their workplace and they can come in and give their 110%. And it's usually a large classroom and being able to give that attention to every, every student is um, many times not possible. But um, how do we support that uh, is very important. Uh, the peer interaction is also very important mm. in that sense. And what kind of um, philosophy um, the school brings towards, uh, you know, bringing a peer environment that uh, does not support bullying, that does not support inequity and discrimination. And um, these are conversations that can be had from a very young age and, and children being aware of these um, contexts and, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that, you know, children know that they... Um, are in that kind of environment and i and and i think uh you know of course every child loves a holiday but you know you should one should also see that when one one is going to school is that is that interesting or yeah. or not and i'm i'm sure it is for many children going to the right schools it is yeah um so uh, you know, from the very get-go of this conversation, we've talked about, you know, that that being in the state of mental well-being, it's it's within us, but it's also around us. You know, the the people that we interact with, our, our teachers, mentors, peers, that's super important. It's also, I think, um, from the, the parents' perspective, uh, it's also important to figure out, you know, that what kind of learning environment does my child uh, thrive in, thrive so, in yeah. is it um, you know some children really thrive in a in an arts oriented environment um, which is and more free play and more um, you know there might be music and dance and that kind of environment is where certain kids thrive better it's sometimes I think you know our educators well, when they're stressed out, sometimes they may tell us, hey, your kid needs to get an evaluation, a behavioral evaluation, or, and you, and you take the kid and you're like, well, actually, you know, there's nothing wrong with my kid, really. If, if you think about <laughs> the, the, you know, the diagnoses of certain disorders, there's actually nothing really wrong. Yeah. Then you have to pause and think through, well, is this the right uh, learning environment? for my child or do they actually you know deserve something different mm. and some kids it's just the kind of environment that they have to adjust to as opposed to um you know trying to fit in into like you know like a a, a round ball into a square peg you know it's like never yeah. gonna happen so um being being supportive of those kinds of changes is is important important yeah i mean yeah i mean there was countless of times in when I was growing up where I was diagnosed, but from teachers with ADHD and then this and that. And so, you know, what, a few qu- questions I had before you concluded is one, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, have you seen examples of where meditation or these type of practices are brought into a school? And have you have you seen any impacts of those? Yes, yeah, so I work on 
um, meditation from a scientific perspective and we've seen um, benefits within um, environments that are impoverished. So mm. um, thinking about children who've uh, not had uh, an enriched uh, childhood in that, you know, they've been neglected or orphaned or, um, you know, deeper, deeper impoverished environments. We've, especially during the um, later middle age and and adolescent time period, we found it to be really beneficial for both uh, brain health and for cognition and for behavioral health, especially you know attention and hyperactivity related symptoms. And I think it can be helpful. Um, I'm. It really also depends on how it is practiced yeah, um, and, and how is how it's taught. So there are studies uh, that um, take uh, meditation on on a larger scale in uh, in a full uh, school district, and some of them have shown no effects, um, but no effects on the children, but some effects on the on uh, positive effects on the teachers so mm. it, it can be tailored to the kind of um person who's receiving it so i think there's still mixed evidence on on employing uh meditation and mindfulness on a large scale mm. um and at the same time we ask of those studies as to like you know how was it exactly implemented and how it could be done better as well so um i think the evidence right now is is mixed but from the work that i've done i think um especially in more uh, impoverished environments it can have a very beneficial mm. outcome cool and my final question for you is I, I would love to talk a little bit about your book a little brain and and what kind of motivated you to write that and what are some of the things that you haven't seen in other children's book that you feel like your book brings to light yeah, I had a really fun time writing The Little Brain. It was um, when my first child was born and I was looking at the um, things that motivate him to to grow and he's he goes through new learning experiences and it was really about that um, context of what I might uh, teach him in you know all the learnings that I've had as a brain scientist, and in turn, how he has he has taught me through some of his positive attitudes as well. And so we go through um, various levels of uh, resilient learning. And uh, what I've heard is um, the book has naturally connected with some with children, and it's an and for parents to give children sort of these. Um, uh, sort of little t tenets about learning and have a conversation around what is um, uh, effective learning. And mm. and I, I've been um, getting a lot of feedback about how the book has uh, inspired these conversations about how learning can be hard, but in as part of being hard, it is um, uh, it is joyful. You know that all the joy is not just uh, like you mentioned uh, in a previous question it's comment that it's disney-esque that it's you know and i'm just going through this you know candy land world it's it's more the joy of being able to to do certain things through challenge that get you to that uh, to that level of joy that you really 
um, you know, feel feel good about yourself, feel good about you know moving on and discovering what life's experiences are about. Um, and you know, it's just oh, there are lots of great books out there, and I think it's just one perspective that I wanted to take to um, use my knowledge and also connect and got connected with a very talented uh, illustrator for the book and. Uh, uh, the main purpose was to have um, these conversations with within families about resilient learning, and I think the book um, is having that effect, and I'm really happy about that. And that brings us to the end of our conversation. I wanted to say thank you so much for listening and your support. Mental health is an extremely important conversation to be having when it comes to education and I wanted to thank Dr. Jyothi Mishra so much for coming and sharing all of her expertise. I will be attaching the link to her book in the show notes so if you're interested please go and check that out. Apart from that I'm really excited for the next few weeks of episodes I have up and coming. We have a episode about love which I am excited to dive into. It has been a recent development in my life and I'm excited to have a conversation that accompanies that theme. And apart from that, per usual, stay re-educated.